Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset, change, and success. Look, motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you will finally live a whole life. You'll be much happier. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformation so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode which you can utilize to create change in your life. Failure is about learning how to embrace your challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. Well, here we go again, guys. Another episode of Failure is Not the Problem. So strap in. Do you want to elevate your perspective with failure so you can change your mindset to accept failure as positive experiences rather than negative expectations? When you fail, it's not the end, but the ultimate beginning. At my company, Failure is Not the Problem, our philosophy is failure fuels innovation, resilience, and growth. Learn how to embrace your setbacks and stepping stones to success. Learn, adapt, triumph with the wisdom of failure by your side. Join us in rewriting the story of success, where failure is the launch pad for greatness. How can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? You need to laugh and learn when you fail. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step of your journey. Most of us know what fun is, but what is failure-tastic? Huh? What is a failure-tastic moment? Well, I created the word and had it trademarked. A failure-tastic moment would be like this. It's when you have tried to accomplish a goal or become successful while pursuing an endeavor, but you failed time after time, failure after failure after failure. Like when I was trying to become an army officer, it literally took me several years. But instead of quitting, I never gave up. And because I didn't give up, I accomplished that goal and more because of lessons that I learned along the way. Now, accomplishing such a goal and a dream after so many years, most would say, man, that's fantastic. No, that would be a failure-tastic moment. Hello, everyone. I am George A. Milton, your host, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing person who is changing the planet within her chosen profession. Hello, Marcia. It's good to be with you today. How are you? I'm well. How are you, George? Man, every time I get to speak to you, you know, my world is better, Marcia. So doing really good right about now. So hey, look, let's uh, introduce yourself. Why don't you tell the audience a bit about your background and what you do to impact our planet? Sure. So my background, first 10 years of my life, I grew up in a small town called Petropavlovsk. It's on the Isham River in Kazakhstan, right on the border of Kazakhstan and Russia. 
growing up was pretty rough. I grew up with really uh, one mother. And then my dad died when I was about three months old. And my mom had a bunch of daughters by a previous marriage, but they were a lot older than me. So I really wasn't raised too much around them, except the youngest one, Hope. She and I had a lot of sibling rivalry that was a little extreme. But, you know, I just kind of persevered. Um, when I was about eight, my mother died. And then I was put in a juvenile detention camp. And then from there, they deemed that I couldn't go back to my family. And then I was put up for adoption. And that's how I got to the U.S. when I was 10. When I got here, it was a little bit challenging because my parents did not speak Russian and I didn't speak English. And when they got me, of course, I'd been a street kid that was homeless. I had never gone to school because we were always homeless. And so I was 10 years old, basically, with not much education in any language. So my parents were kind of saddled with the task of trying to get me, like, how are they going to get me into college? First couple of years, they put me in public school, which was fun. And then as soon as I was able to speak enough English that they could start homeschooling me, that's what my dad did. And then I was able to go and start college. But I think I graduated from high school when I was about 20. And then I started college when I was 18. I was kind of doing that dual credit thing. And then got my bachelor's in 2020. Right out of my bachelor's, I got a job through a company called Endeavors. And I was a case manager helping homeless people. I was either, you know, housing them or if they're already housed, then I would connect them to services if they needed mental health services, if they needed further housing services, things like that. Did that for about a year. And then as any, it's a nonprofit, so it's grant-based, right? So the grant ended and then I wound up in another grant that fell through. So I never got to start it, but someone swooped in and just said, hey, would you be interested in suicide prevention? I thought, great, yeah, sure. I mean, at that point, I'd be interested in anything. <laughs> but, you know, they kind of swooped me in and we did a bunch of training to do with suicide prevention because I, I really wasn't very familiar with it, but it really sparked a lot of passion inside of me. So now I do trainings and implementation within programs that Endeavors has. We have probably over 100 grants where we're helping homeless people, veterans, and individuals that are suffering with mental health crises, drug abuse, individuals that are impacted by their sexuality, you know, kicked out of their homes, things like that. And then we have the Pecos Children's Center that's down in El Paso. So we're kind of all over the place. We're in Puerto Rico, in Texas, California, I think South Carolina, a bunch of different places. So what we do in my grant is we look at other grants and we see how can we be more suicide aware. And so the first one that we implemented in this past April was the safe service grant in the veteran services. And we basically have all the case manager intake Everyone from janitorial to CEO is trained in suicide prevention and knowing the signs of suicide risk. So that way, if they run across someone who is at risk, they know what to do, how to connect that individual to care. Because our approach is 100% public health. We do train clinical staff. So it's not like we don't have clinical staff, but my focus is public health because I just have a bachelor's in psychology. So I am not clinical at all. But what we do is we train 
case managers, you know, because we're talking about a really at-risk population here, homeless individuals that have mental health and substance use disorders. So suicide risk in that situation can skyrocket. And so we teach our case managers and I do all the trainings. I'll come up with the curriculums and things like that. And then my leadership does kind of the background work to do with the grant because we're through SAMHSA. So that's kind of basically what we do. And we do a little bit of community engagement as well. I've done a couple of trainings here and there, actually pretty close to my neighborhood. So it's been really great. Very nice. Wow, golly, what an amazing adventure, man. Going from Russia to the United States of America, now you're a college graduate, and here you are impacting this crazy world we live in. So how long you know, have you actually been in this specific field, Masha? So this grant, I joined them in October of 2022. And then I started at Endeavors in October of 2021. So I'm coming on two years. Okay, very good, very good. You know, you mentioned a couple of things. One was that you worked, you know, homeless folks and that sort of thing. And there was a time prior to me going into the military, I actually worked with the city of Fort Worth, Texas, and I actually managed a couple of homeless shelter grants. So have a little background in that. And you also mentioned you help veterans. Well, I am a veteran, you know. Just a couple of years ago, I was actually serving in uniform. And here's the thing is while working in that industry, in those kinds of settings, there was oftentimes set goals and these kinds of things, but wasn't always able to achieve them. So there was failure along the way, right? So for me, you know, it's all about trying to use failure in a positive sense to learn from that. So there were things that I learned that I didn't know prior to working in this environment that really kind of helped me along the way. So how has failure actually contributed to your success? A lot. You know, going back to being just a little bitty kid, I really, the way I see it is there, there's been many different situations in my life where like people around me and the world failed me. When an individual is adopted and they're young, right, and they have family like I do, someone has to sign a release form. And so when I was picked up by the police, because I was a homeless street kid, they found me. And then before they can put me up for adoption, my aunt had to sign paperwork saying that I can be adopted. It was a really painful experience for me because my aunt looked me straight in the eye and said, I don't know this child. And that was really, really difficult for me because growing up, my whole upbringing up until my mother died, my mother told me, she told me, she said, you know, once I'm gone, you're on your own and you need to understand that. And I didn't understand that until that very moment. Then I understood. So in a sense, you know, whether it be all the siblings that I had, all the family, I, ha I have a bunch of nieces, nephews that are older than me. I have cousins, I have aunts and uncles. Nobody stepped up to take care of me. And at the time I saw it as a failure on their part. But I think that failure is what led to my success because if they had stepped up, then I would still be there. And I would still be dealing with that level of poverty, that culture that I was in, because I was in a very bad culture. My sisters were into prostitution. There was, there was just a lot of bad things that were going on and I would have just fallen into those footsteps. And so by the way I saw it, when I was a teen, I was going through a lot of really rough things where I just, didn't understand, like, why did these things happen to me? But I realized recently that it's all those failures combined that led to my success, right? Whether it be, you know, my aunt saying, no, I don't know this kid, whether it was my sister turning her back on me, 
you know, all these different things that I went through. And that's what led me and made me determined. Because when I was in the orphanage, they saw me, I was 10 years old. I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to write. I didn't even know what my birthday was, colors, numbers, anything. And so they just thought that I was mentally impaired. They just deemed me to be IDD and didn't even bother sending me to school. Yeah. And so I was bullied a lot because people would call me names, you know, because I wasn't educated. I didn't know how to read. And I longed so much to learn these things that when I got to the U.S., I made it my mission to prove them wrong. Like, no, I'm going to learn. And that was kind of the driving force. But it's because of all these failures that I'd endured where I was constantly told that I couldn't. And so I did. That is fantastic. Look, I got chills right now, right? Because that's what all of this is about. This is what, you know, transforming your mindset, you know, to change failure in the way in which you see it from a negative to a positive, right? You just listed multiple failure-tastic moments, right? I think that's why I got this chill because it's not about, you know, what happens to you. It's about, you know, how you respond to, to those issues and whatnot. So, and, and in fact, there's this quote that says, it's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are not. Isn't that interesting? Let me say that again. You know, it's not what you are that holds you back. It's what people oftentimes think they are not. And, you know, when I look at this failure piece, you know, oftentimes people think that they're worthless or, or they're weak or they're stupid or they have no value. You know, they are a waste of time. And what you just demonstrated was that it wasn't what you thought, but it's it's how you demonstrated this. And how did you come out of this? You came out stronger, braver, smarter, more creative, more resilient. I mean, that's just so powerful to me, right? And, you know, Marcus, you mentioned something a moment ago, and you said, you know, this happened when you were a little bitty kid. Well, audience, Marcia's probably about four one, so she's still itty-bitty. She means when she's a young kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to children, here's what's really interesting. Failure doesn't even really exist. I mean, it doesn't. I know that, you know, we see it and we think we experience that sort of thing, but it's really interesting to me. And let me explain to the audience what I mean by, you know, when I say failure doesn't exist. Because when we take children, and I'm sure a lot of folks can identify with this, is when kids go out and they try to attempt something. There are two things that actually take place. They either figure it out, right, and accomplish it, and, you know, and they're good to go. Or if they don't accomplish it, they just kind of move on to something else. It's not that big of a deal, right? See, so they never, ever consider that a failure until when? Until someone tells them, you're a failure, right? We need to remember Words mean things. And in fact, this is, you may have the answer, but I'm going to just ask it anyway. Where does failure even come from? You ever thought about that? I don't know if most folks have even put thought to that particular process, but where does failure even come from? That word, where did it originate? What, what do you think? For me, it was just a term that was created by the people around me. Ah, very good answer. Spot on. And in fact, every word that we know in our lexicon are brought up and made up by people. That's exactly right. So it's simply something that, you know, man decided to come up with. He created a word. He gave a definition to it, right? And that's where failure really comes from. So it doesn't really even exist. And it never existed until we decided to bring it up and give it a negative connotation. So if we have a negative connotation for that word, what I'm trying to do is change it to the point to where failure can be seen as something positive as opposed to something that's negative. You've mentioned a lot of challenges, so I'm not going to ask, you know, what's your number one challenge, because I don't even think that even really exists. But I do want to ask this question of you. How do you help those you lead experience failure? 
right? I mean, you've had some of that yourself and a lot of folks don't even really know how to actually deal with that. So when you are in a leadership position or you're working with those folks in your environment, how do you help those persons deal with that particular word? You know, that's a really tough one because failure in our field, usually it's a scary word because A lot of times when our case managers are doing crisis intervention, they don't want to think about the failure piece because it means that they couldn't save the lives that they were trying to save. So far, nothing like that has happened. However, as a case manager, one of the things that I do is I look at whatever the individual is going through, because even if you look at my past and you focus on the negative pieces, like I had been abused, there was a lot of trauma, I have a lot of PTSD because of my childhood. I mean, I have a lot of these things and you can focus on that. Or you can focus on the fact that at 10 years old, I traveled to a country with people I didn't know, a language I didn't speak, how scary that was, and I faced it. And I wound up getting a bachelor's degree from my local university. And so even getting into the university to me is pretty incredible. And so I try to focus on the good, right? Because if we focus on the bad, it's not going to get us anywhere. And so I know that I'm not a social worker, but my partner is a social worker. And one of the things he talks about is strengths perspective. And that's kind of what we focus on when you're doing case management. And so it's the same thing when I'm talking to all these employees that are scared to ask their clients about suicide, because chances are the answer is going to be yes. And then what do you do? And it's like, okay, well, let's focus on the good things here. And then we can strengthen those good things and kind of focus on that part of it and not the what ifs, right? Because you cross that bridge when you get there. You know, and that's kind of the way I think of it is it's just whenever you have a failure or something that you perceive as a failure, the way I look at it is what now? This has happened. Where do I go from here? How do I get past this point? Right? Because if you can't get past that point, you're just going to run into the same issue over and over and over. And if you don't tackle the issue at heart, then you'll never get past that point. You'll always struggle with that piece. And so you have to figure out what now. And I think a lot of us are blindsided with why. What did we do that caused this failure? And we beat ourselves up based on all the little, you know, tidbits and the different pieces that might have caused that failure versus, okay, that happened. I can't control the past, but I can't control the future. So let's see where I need to go from here. And that's kind of how I approach it with anyone that might be having, um, because a lot of people have anxiety when it comes to asking about suicide. I like, you know, when you talk about the why piece, right? I've always talked to folks and one of the things I try to do in helping people that I work with when it comes to this particular topic, I mean, I've written books, you know, the first book I wrote. And in fact, when I was writing this first book, the title of it is Failure is Not the Problem. It's the beginning of your success, right? Failure is not the problem. It's the beginning of your success. So when I started writing that particular book, I was doing some research, man. I'm talking to folks and doing all that and talking to tons of people. And it became very clear, very early doing this research that no one wanted to talk about failure. No one. I mean, I'm having a great conversation. And then they said, well, what, what is this? Is, you really excited about this. What exactly is this about? And then, you know, I started talking in depth about, you know, people's failures and they just immediately shut down when they heard that one word. Because I was talking about initially just writing books and how to get people motivated. And then, you know, what's the title of the book? And, you know, I introduced the failure kind of stuff. And, like, oh, oh. and it's almost like they're like, you know, punching the gut kind of thing. So what I decided to do is in order to help people understand 
how to dive deep and to do really, 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 really deep introspections. I not only wrote that book, I wrote a workbook that corresponds with that book and also wrote a journal. So in conjunction with doing the writing of that particular book, in fact, I wrote those books consecutively, just I mean, all together in relation to that point. So writing the books, doing motivational speaking, I'll actually put on seminars for leaders to teach them about these kind of things. That's how I kind of help out and like doing that sort of thing. And, you know, my background is a little, little different, right? I mean, one of the things that the military offered us was that we learned from other people's failures within the confines of the military, right? So it was huge for us. So the military made it okay for us to fail. As long as we did not get anybody hurt, right? Didn't get anybody killed intentionally and these kind of things, you know, know, actually, you know, stupid stuff, bad decisions and that kind of stuff. You know, as long as we were trying to put forth an effort and learning in the process, we weren't penalized because of our failures. In fact, the military oftentimes set us up in situation where we knew that, you know, we didn't think we were going to fail, but for an example, they have something called a ropes course where they put all the, you know, cadets or soldiers together and they want us to try to figure this puzzle out where we're going through all these different exercises. And there's no no way to, to succeed, right? It's doomed to fail. And they do that because they want to see how we're going to respond and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how I came up. So it wasn't about the why they did that once we failed. You know, what they wanted us to focus on now what? What are you going to do now that you have failed? Because once you get to a point to where you realize that it's really not about your failures, it's about how you're going to respond to those, then that's where, you know, the important lessons come in. So I developed a motto based upon a term that you, you'll probably recognize. I just kind of put a little spin on it. And it's really this. It's, you know, when you fail, man, carry on, right? Failure is not the end. It's really the beginning. And failure, you know, is about, you know, for me, in a way, it's about momentum, right? It's really about freedom. For me, I mean, I got to a point to where instead of it really being oppressive, gosh, man, I used to get so depressed over that one word because the pressure that I felt to succeed was overwhelming. And it got to a point to where I was really, really depressed over an extended period of time because of so much failure that was actually in my background. So without getting into any, you know, details or anything like that, I mean, how does your colleagues, you know, when you guys are working together and that sort of thing, because it's not only about us, it's about those we work with. How do the colleagues process or deal with failure when they see it in your work environment? It's difficult because it's like I have a colleague who is my co-presenter, but she struggles with the presenting piece. And she, a lot of times, will beat herself up because she... and. I think a lot of us, although some of us have a lot of pressure on us from society, from family, from our culture, but a lot of us set high standards for ourselves. And that's what gives us that feeling of, of I failed, you know, because she will think like, oh, I upset people. It's like, no, you didn't. You did just fine. You did a lot better than you think you did. Right. But it's that mental game that she has. For her, it's generally just taking a little bit of time. I try to coach her through it to talk a little bit about it in that, again, that positive sense and just say it wasn't as bad as you think it was, right? Because every time I present, I can go back through and think, oh, I could have done that and this and that and the other. And what my my dad always tells me is, is don't worry about the what ifs. Things that you cannot control do not need to control you. So move forward. What do you do at this point? 
Well, what we do is we sit down, we look at the drawing board and think, okay, next time I present, because I present the same material over and over, next time I present, I need to be sure and not do this or be sure and mention that or however it might play out, you know? And that's kind of what I'm trying to get my colleague to do. Now, my upper leadership, they've done the presentation so many times, I really don't get an insight on how they feel about how they did because the things that they want to improve on is not going to be things that I catch just because I'm at a different level and we present completely different things. But in terms of our, the people that work in the programs that we implement into, I really don't know how they respond because when we go out and present, we're presenting a topic that people don't want to talk about. So they don't really open up to us. So, you know, I will do a four hour presentation and I might have zero questions which I know they have questions, but it's just, you know, it's a stigma in society where they don't want to talk about it because they think, you know, oh, if I ask about suicide, it's going to put the idea of suicide in your head. That's a myth. There's been hundreds of studies that have proven that, you know, so it's difficult to speak for those. But I know me and my colleague who work really close with one another because we're co-presenters, she really struggles with it. But I just try to, to just say, you can't worry about the past, you know? What a powerful, powerful statement you just made, man. One of the things that spoke to me, a couple of points here, I guess, is one, I think a lot of what your colleague may be experiencing or dealing with is conditioning, right? And conditioning from the standpoint of fearing failure, because we've been conditioned to believe that we fear failure. And just, you know, my experiences over time, you know, you know there was a time in which I also believe that I feared failure because of what I heard. And just when I started really examining my life and really getting a positive mindset and getting a grip on this failure thing, what I really realized is that it really wasn't the failure that I feared. What I feared is a word that you mentioned a moment ago. What I feared was this, the stigma associated with the failure. Let me say that again. It wasn't the failure that I'd been conditioned or taught to believe that I feared because everybody knows they're going to fail, right? Or they're not going to accomplish something. And when that actually happens, we've been conditioned that, oh, oh, oh I fear the fit. No, 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 no. It's not the failure. I don't believe that folks actually fear. They fear the stigma. And I've given that word, stigma, an acronym, and it's shameful thoughts I give myself anxiously. That's all stigma really is, right? Because we're really concerned about how others are going to think about us, oh, what they're going to say, and that how they're going to you know, relate to us. And oftentimes, when that word actually comes up, it's not in a positive way. Wow, man, the fear factor when it comes to failure just really needs to be reconditioned to the point to where folks go ahead and say, look, you know what? I've learned from this. And that's really the point. You talk to any major successful person on the planet, and here's what they say. They say they learn way more from their failures than they ever did from their successes, right? And in fact, I became an officer in the United States military, multiple degrees, because of the failure thing. I mean, I, gosh, my education, you mentioned that earlier. I failed multiple, multiple grades. Kindergarten, first grade, almost every grade thereafter, failed out of six colleges and universities. So I identify with the failure. But even, you know, from that particular standpoint, you know, failure is something that we can actually, I believe in my experience, is we can make it fun, right? It doesn't have to be this doom and gloom. I mean, there are a number of different ways to make failure fun. And I'm trying to get folks to understand that instead of taking it so seriously, man, you know, it's okay to laugh at yourself, right? It's okay to laugh at the failure. I mean, can you think of a time when you may have, you know, failed at something and you just thought, oh, man, instead of, oh, no, you just thought, oh, not that big of a deal. Was there ever a time that you failed and you just made it fun? There has been several situations 
I think one of the ones that comes to mind is it really wasn't the instant that I failed. It was the instant I succeeded. But the way I succeeded is through failure, if that makes any sense. I had, I guess because of my childhood, I've had major test-taking anxiety. And I had an injury very early in a semester. And I broke my clavicle. And it was a really unfortunate break because it required all sorts of medications. It wasn't just put your arm in a sling. It was kind of what they call a ladder third break. And they had to put me on all these pain medications because I still had to go to class. I still had to carry a backpack, all the things. And I just thought with all this medication on board, I can't study and I had a history test. And as you know, history is all about memory work. And of course I, I was there in class, but I hadn't studied. And I was like, man, this is not gonna go well. But I was just so hyped up on whatever pain medication they'd given me. I went in thinking, I'm just going to bomb this. And it is the only hundred I'd ever gotten in a non-accommodation setting, if that makes sense. Like with disability, I get accommodations, but this was before I got the accommodations. And it was a surprise. And I realized I was way too high to be stressed. That was what it was, you know, but that's, that's a moment where, you know, I passed, but I kind of passed in a failure way, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what? It does make sense. And in fact, I haven't, gosh, I'm just relating to everything that you say, to be quite honest. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that I failed quite a bit, you know, academically for sure. And the story, you know, that is uh, really similar to what you just mentioned is this. I would actually always prepare for an exam, right? And unfortunately, there were times, I mean, just many times, I just failed miserably, right? So here's what I did is I came up with, and I don't know where it came from. I just decided to look, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. So I came up with this idea. I mean, I know what I know and I don't know any more than that. And I would always make that statement right before an exam, right? And it took so much pressure off of me that literally my grades got better. Because I freed myself of the pressure because I was so stressed out that all I could focus on was, gosh, am I going to pass? And what if I don't get this grade? And my mind was stuck on that, right? But when I decided to not worry about the failure and said, look, even if I don't get it harder, at least I'm going to learn something out of this. My learning process shifted. And it shifted in a very positive way. And I was able to be able to focus on the material that I studied as opposed to the potential failure that I was, you know, used to anticipating and that sort of thing. It was so freeing. So I definitely agree with what it is you're saying and whatnot. And other ways that people can make failure fun is by, you know, just coming up with different types of games. There's something called what, um, I think it's called the retrospective game, right? Where they turn, you know, the analysis on failures into a game where you and your team can collectively identify what went wrong and then brainstorm some creative solutions to that, Right. I mean, that's, that's how we should actually go about doing that. You know, different types of roles, reversals from a leader's standpoint. And, you know, when you do those sorts of things, I think one becomes a lot more successful. So, you know, I've often been asked, you know, doing some of our presentations and trainings, you know, what is the formula for success? Now, look, I've had some success, you know, throughout my life. You know, I don't have a perfect answer for everyone, but, but here's what I know for sure. You know, if one wants to succeed, here's some of the things that work for me. There are four things that I focus on. Number one, you have to believe that you can truly become successful. Oftentimes, Masha, people, if you have somebody, hey, hey, do you think you can become successful? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right? They've just been conditioned to say that because to say otherwise would be what? Admitting that they're going to fail. So number one, you got to believe that you can become successful. The second thing is that 
you got to focus. I read a report where it says in this technological world, the average person's attention span is about eight seconds. Oh, come on. There's not much you can focus on in eight seconds, right? So the third thing, Denzel Washington, I was watching him give a speech to a university graduating class. And he said a couple of things that I thought were very, very interesting. He said that he'd been successful, you know, throughout his life. Obviously, he's a, one of the number one movie stars on the planet. He says, but in his success and in the class's success, he said, your faith, whatever your faith is, it should be important to you. You know, but even with their faith, there is luck that comes along with that when you become successful, right? But he said that if you had the perfect faith and the best of luck, you still got to do the work. So the third thing is you got to work hard, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. And here's the magic moment and the magic ingredient. The fourth thing that one must do if they want to become successful is this. You must fail, right? No way to become successful without failing. So those four things is believe that you can become successful. Focus, laser light, right? There's no such thing as multitasking. The brain doesn't work that way. Third thing, work hard. And the magic in the pudding, man. You gotta fail. I come up with this, this formula. And it's simply this, F plus RR equals S. That's failure plus right response equals success. So I am excited that you actually came on the show today. Masha, I want to, before we sign off here, I want to give you the opportunity to just, you know, say anything that you may have actually thought of as I was rambling on and that sort of thing and trying to get the audience hyped up to really change their mindset, to learn from their failures so they can get better and become, you know, the person that they're meant to be. But now I'll let you say a couple of words before we close out, if you would. You know, the thing that comes to mind when you had said the title of your first book, the failure is not the problem, it's the beginning. It really rings true for me because I did many years of martial arts and I was in a fairly small school, but I was, I, I was pretty good. You know, every, I was the top of my class. No one could beat me. We would do round robin and nobody could dethrone me. I mean, I'd gotten really, really good at it. And of course I enjoyed the fame. So I was bathing in the fame and I went out and there was a competition that came to town. I was like, sure, I'll compete. I go out there and I get the floor wiped with me. I was just shocked because yes, I knew my martial art, but I didn't know the game. And there's a game that you gotta know, right? I had put in the work which a lot of martial artists will tell you, half the work is respect, right? And this girl came out, she had no respect for me, didn't care, but she knew the rules to the game and she beat me. And I was just flabbergasted. And so to me, it was a real shock, but it was at that point that I decided I'm gonna learn this game and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna, I'm gonna win. And that's what I did. I went back at it. Long story short, the school closed. I had to switch karate schools. I wound up in a different style where they did a lot of competition, climbed the ranks, and I became a state champion in the same organization that I got my butt beat quite severely. You know, and it was me that was wiping the floor with everyone because I learned the rules of the game. The rule of the game is you hit hard. <laughs> I, in Taekwondo, was taught you don't hurt your opponent. You can execute a technique without hurting your opponent. That's not the rules in this world. The rules in this world was hurt your opponent to make sure they don't get back up. And that was just completely new to me. But what it did was it, it jump-started my success in the martial arts world to get to the point where I was a state champion. 
you know? So that's why that really speaks to me. I, I just, it really, really does get to the point. And it's the same thing with, you know, my background in schooling where I came to the U.S. being made fun of. I didn't know how to read. I was 10 years old. You know, how could I not know how to read? How could I have not learned? But it's like, I'm going to learn the rules of this game and I'm going to read every book that I can lay my hands on. And that's what I did. What an amazing American story. I mean, come on. Are you kidding? <laughs> wow. Look, I've been to, what, 40, 45 different countries, man, uh, you know, just all over the planet. And uh, I've, I've heard a lot of great failure stories, you know, fantastic stories where they go out and, and fail and become extremely successful in their chosen fields. But this is new for me. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful example that you actually are and how you've used failure to become the person that you've always, you know, were destined to be. And you're just getting started, man. So I am really excited that uh, you showed up on the podcast today. The world, I know I am, is better off for listening to your story, Masha. Thank you so much for sharing this. And for those out in the listening audience, man, look, please go out, grab the books off of Amazon. Failure is not the problem. It's the beginning of your success. Also, my second book was released, Failure is Not the Problem. It's your leadership. So if you really want to learn how to lead at a very, very senior level, go out and get that book as well. Again, Masha, thank you so much. What a great, great opportunity. I'm just so psyched. I'm fired up. Man, if I knew some karate, I'd go out and kick somebody's butt right now. But since I don't, I'm not going to attempt that. <laughs> that would be a great failure for sure. But thank you so much for coming on the show. All the best to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgeamilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.